welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So receive this as we begin our time together. Beloved is where we begin. If you would enter into the wilderness, or may I say this new year, this season, this sermon series, this gathering, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are. Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That is what this journey is for. I cannot promise that this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of the sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path there will be help. I can tell you that on this way there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Amen. All right, friends, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that'd be great. Good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We had some bets early on uh, about how many people would come this morning. I lost that one significantly. And then we had a bet about who would, whether first hour would have more people than second hour. And I lost that one too. So I'm 0 for 2. Mel, you, you're, if, Mel should, you should hang out with Mel this afternoon. Good things are coming her way. Um, and also, that first song, I felt like I was in a movie. Did anybody else feel like it had a, a movie kind of like, you know, soundtrack thing going? That was lovely. So um, if you get nothing else from today, I hope you enjoyed that. My name is Micah. Uh, I really do believe you might get something else from today, though. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, oh, yeah, I'm, I was introducing myself. My name is Micah. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you're here. If you're new to our community, um, we'd love to know you're here. There are some newcomer cards in the seat pockets in front of you there uh, or online. You can fill out a form uh, that way as well. Somebody from our team will get in touch with you, um, invite you out to a beverage of your choice. Uh, those cards, tithes, and offerings can go in the black boxes at the exits. And um, a couple things you should know about coming up, the first of which is there's a book study starting January 16th. 
called Falling Upwards. It's written by Richard Rohr. Uh, kind of first half of life, second half of life conversation. Uh, did you all know that the most productive decade in the human life is the 70s? <laughs> Who knew? Uh, yeah, I was reading that this morning. I was like, I have something to look forward to. Like, this is going to be great. So Falling Upward, a uh, great, great book by a, a great author. Um, it's five weeks, January 16th. Um, if you're interested in that, that's happening. We also, long ago, feels like decades ago, but it was just a couple, just this last year, we would open the church every other week for like a, uh, the space uh, in here for like contemplation, meditation, kind of quiet prayer. Uh, and we're going to do that again uh, this spring. It feels like... Uh, a, a good winter activity, so Wednesday night, this Wednesday, and then we'll do it once a month, January, February, and then in Lent, we're actually going to do every Wednesday night that will be available during Lent, kind of a Lenten journey. So Wednesday night, 6 to 8, um, a few things happen during that time. There'll be music, uh, like uh, seven, 620, uh, and then 720, and then in the middle, at on the hour, uh, someone will lead a short, like Lectio Divina or meditation. Uh, there'll be space for silence. There will be someone in our prayer space available from our prayer team. So super low-key. It can be anything you want it to be. Um, <clears throat> and that is available. So if you'd like to take advantage of that. And then last but not least, on Thursday night this week, January 13th, from 6 to 8, there's a group of us going up to every meal to do some volunteering, pack some meals that will end up in kids' backpacks. Um, one of our missional partners so we try to make it up there uh, every now and again during the year and, and help with that work. So uh, 6 to 8, if you want to join, I'll be going uh, with a group of folks. And you can sign up online. If you get the Awaken Weekly, there's an email. Tanya Kugel is kind of our point person for that. Or you can go to everymeal.org and try. Give you 10 bucks if you can navigate that website. But email Tanya, okay? That's the key to that one. Um, I like to think of myself as a bright person, and I still, I'm like, what in the world is not intuitive at all? It drives me batty. I'm not doing a good job. You should go volunteer, though. You should volunteer. It's a lovely organization. The website's terrible. All right. We are starting a new series today. Uh, it is Epiphany, friends. J January 6th is the beginning of Epiphany, forever marked in our memories for both dark and light. Um, but it is the beginning of Epiphany, and from Epiphany to Lent, we're in a new series. And uh, we talk about this metaphor of a well and a fence at Awaken. So if you've been around Awaken, uh, bear with me for just a moment. But uh, we talk about a well and a fence, and the fact that as a community, as a church, we're really not interested in the whole fence idea, the, the whole fence metaphor. Um, if the fence is uh, sort of religion proper and rules and regulations and the means by which we determine who's in and who's out, who the good people are and the bad people are, uh, the means by which we grade our holiness or someone else's holiness, the means by which we make declarations about ourselves or others, uh, the means by which we sometimes, religion, uh, executes power and authority over others, right? The fence, we're just really not interested in that. Uh, we're not interested in building it, helping to build it, maintaining it, um, upkeeping it, not interested. And often that's what church ends up being. Rather, we've said we want to gather around a well. And the million-dollar question then becomes, well, what is the well? What's in the well, as it were? And so we say over and over again, and I'll say it again today and probably again some other time, that the well that we want to gather around is the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. We believe that that is living water, that gather, a group of people gathered around that and concerned about that 
is like good news for the world. Um, the death and resurrection of Jesus is somewhat a settled uh, idea, right? That uh, historically uh, believed it happened. And there is debate about, you know, the resurrection, how that all worked metaphysically, da-da-da-da-da-da. Let's set that aside. Death and resurrection is kind of a settled deal. The life and teachings of Jesus, though, that's a pretty large and wide body of work. So this series is about, like, what, what's the cream that rises to the top in terms of Jesus' teachings? Are there kind of a, is there a, a greatest hits album of Jesus' teachings and, and his life? And if there was, what would be on it, right? So I actually asked you all uh, uh, on the Facebook page, and some of you chimed in, and our staff chimed in. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at the greatest hits of Jesus' life and teaching. Uh, the series is creatively entitled The Life and Teachings of Jesus. So, there you are. Uh, and today is probably like the banger single number one hit of all of Jesus's life. Uh, it comes from Matthew chapter 22. Uh, it's in another gospel as well. I think in the book of Mark, but we're going to look at Matthew. So if you are able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the word. And then we will see what happens next. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Sounds like a junior high skit already, but... One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law... And the prophets hang on these two commandments. Pray with me. God, this morning we turn our attention to these words, uh, this book, which uh, many, myself included, believe to be inspired by you, uh, a means by which you reveal yourself to us. And so we pray that you would do it again today, that you would show us, reveal to us, um, draw us in to the divine life, um, illuminate us, God and our hearts, our minds, our bodies, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, and the church said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. When I was a young parent, uh, I still am a parent, uh, when I was younger and, and a parent, uh, Laura and I have three children, and they went to Richfield Dual Language School. And so uh, this was just down the street from our house. And I would drop them off at school many a day for class. And uh, so if you can imagine, like, you know, youngsters, uh, kindergartners, uh, first, second graders. And they would, you know, be in their car seats and have their packpacks and getting ready, all ready for school. And we'd get to school and we'd drive you know, get in line, Micah, the rules apply to you at RDLS. Get in line, you go up there, you drop off, you go all the way to the front, though, because you don't want to stop the cars behind you. Go all the way to the front, and the kids get out. And before they got out, they would always hear one question. The question was, with them, what do we do? And there was a correct answer to this question. Like, I was not fishing for somebody's thoughts on the matter. They knew what the answer was. It was, with them, what do we do? And the kids would chime in from the back, love God, love people. So like daily, you know, I would drop them off. With them, what do we do? Love God, love people. The hope was that like this simple, repetitive phrase would like make a groove in their hearts. 
that it would be like a liturgy, that it would have like a channel would be in them, that they would know, it would cut through the chatter, the complexity, the nuance of life, and all the things that we don't know, but like what we do know is what we do, and that is love God, love people. I hope that maybe someday later on in life they would say, do you guys remember when dad used to drop us off at school and say, what do we do? Actually, in our Florida trip that we just went on, that conversation happened, and I was like, yes! Total win as a parent, you know, hashtag winning, which doesn't happen often anymore. But they did. They're like, do you remember when dad used to drop us off? What do we do? Love God, love people. Um, Matthew's gospel, which we read from, a little bit of context for the verse that we just read, right? Uh, in Matthew's storytelling, he, uh, Jesus has entered the city. Palm Sunday has happened. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The kids, you know, they ordered the palms. They brought them. They were waving them all over the place. Uh, Jesus has uh, turned over the tables in the, in the temple. If you remember that story, he's a little upset about what's happening there. Not that people were doing what they were doing, but the spirit in which it was being done. Uh, he's cursed the fig tree on the way up to the temple. That's a weird story. It's a little bit about the temple and what's happening there. Uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law are, have questioned Jesus and his authority. Like, by what authority are you doing and saying these things? So they've, they're calling his question. Uh, the... <clears throat> He's just answered the disciples of the Pharisees when they come to him with a question, which isn't a question, about paying taxes to Caesar, if you remember that one. And then the Sadducees have just asked him a question, which also wasn't a question, about marriage and the resurrection. The Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection, so it was easy to foil that. And now the Pharisees themselves have come. Previously they sent their disciples, but now they've come because they really want to know the answer to this one question. What's the most important law? In Jesus' day, there were lots of debates. The rabbis would get together at the synagogue in the towns, and they would debate. They would talk. They would kind of like, imagine Friday night at your, you know, well, I'll, my, my growing up, Friday night at my grandparents' house, you know, my aunts and uncles were there, and it was just banter back and forth about any number of things. And we'd, have, we'd do it every Friday. The rabbis would gather at the city gates, and they would do this discourse, right, about the things that mattered most. And there were some sort of predictable questions or predictable debates. And one of them was... Of the 613 laws in Torah, which one matters most? Which is the most weighty? That's how they would ask it. <clears throat> Jesus responds to their question, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all of Torah, and the prophets can all be summed up. They hang on this. <clears throat> so, not surprising to anybody who knows anything about like Jewish teaching and rabbis, Jesus is quoting directly from Torah. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. And Jesus assumes that you know the backstory on those passages. Uh, it was called remez or hint. In our day, a word that might be similar would be like metalepsis. If someone says like, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to get the worm, what might they be doing or fishing, or waking up early. <laughs> well, I guess that one could have gone either way. Not a very good illustration, Micah. Uh, the early bird gets the worm is a common phrase that we, would, we know. And if somebody says, well, i got to wake up tomorrow and get the worm, i got to wake up early, i got to go to work, you know, that kind of thing. Metalepsis, remiss. Like, I'm saying something, and I'm assuming that you know the backstory, or you can fill in the blanks, right? The, the broader meaning of what's being said. This is what Jesus does often. Um, Matthew 21, right before our passage, he does this. 
The Sadducees are mad at uh, the kids who've come into the temple. They're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're like, dismiss the kids. Like, get them out of here. And Jesus says, he quotes from Psalm 8. He says, for the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. People are all upset, and they're, they're bent out of shape. But like, It's like, why? Why would they be so mad about that? What Jesus doesn't say is the next verse, which is, because the enemies of God would be silenced. So he's hinting at them. It's Ramaz. He's saying like, oh, from the mouth of babes, right? Praise will come. But he doesn't say, because the enemies of God would be silenced. It's essentially saying to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you have become the enemies of God. <laughs> uh, Zacchaeus, if you remember that story. Zacchaeus goes up in the tree and Jesus says, come on down, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house for dinner today. Salvation has come to your home because the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Which seems a little bizarre. Jesus hasn't really said this before. He doesn't say it again. It's like, where does that even come from? And last, of course, you're a Torah-observant Jew, and you know Zechariah 34, which is the story of God who's upset at the shepherds of Israel who have scattered the flock, and they have not been good shepherds. And so Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, which is to say that you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, who should have been shepherds of the flock, have scattered the flock, and I, Messiah, have come to seek and save them. It's no wonder Jesus gets himself killed in, in, in hot, hot bother. He's doing this all the time. These two verses that he quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 are the same thing. They open up a whole world of thought that I'd like to sort of let you in on this morning, and then I have one observation I'd like to make. All right? Are you with me? That's where we're going today. That's the roadmap. If you like maps, there you go. Number one, love God with your whole body. Love God with all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. A, a, a wholehearted, whole-bodied loving of God. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It reads this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Friends, I exaggerate a lot. <clears throat> My wife reminds me of this often. But I would not be exaggerating if I said that this verse is the heart and soul of Judaism for the last 2,500 years. It is daily prayed by Jews, observant Jews to this day, twice often, in, in temple, but also in homes. It's been prayed for thousands of years. You, have you ever seen those folks with boxes, like, taped to their foreheads? They're not taped. They're called phylacteries, and inside those little boxes are tiny little scrolls. And do you know what's written on those tiny little scrolls? Deuteronomy chapter 6, write them on your bodies, right? They tie things around their arms. Uh, if you go to a Jewish home in Israel and all around the world, you might see what's called a mezuzah above the doorpost. Do you know what's in that mezuzah? Tiny little scroll. Do you know what's on that scroll? Deuteronomy chapter 6. This verse has informed Judaism for, like, the heart and soul of it. It is the heart and soul of it, and it's called the Shema. Why? Because the first word in the passage is Shema, Israel. It means listen. It means hear. It means obey. So Jesus is asked, what's the most important? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What's he quoting from? The Shema. So we are in a deep conversation, a large pool, the deep end of the pool, about what does it mean to listen, to hear, to obey God. So, Shema. It means hear, it means listen, it means obey. 
Uh, and it's, a full, it's like a layered word. It, it's rich and nuanced and super simple and really complex. So let's break it down. It means to hear, like you, the auditory function of the things on the side of your head, right? The, pro, the, the wisdom writer in Proverbs says, ears that shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. So it is absolutely, can you hear my voice? That, that activity. <clears throat> but it also means to pay attention to or to focus, like to listen. You remember uh, uh, White Men Can't Jump? Anybody? Anybody? You can hear Jimi Hendrix, but you can't listen to Jimi Hendrix. Like there's a difference there. You could like auditory, you can hear it, but you can't listen to it. You know what I mean? Listen means it's a deeper level. Uh, when Leah, who's the wife of Jacob, the un- unloved wife of Jacob, has a son, she names him Simon or Shimon because the Lord has shimad that I am unloved. The Lord has paid attention to, the Lord has heard, listened, focused on the fact that I am unloved. So it's hearing, but it's like deeper than that. It's paying attention. It's focusing. <clears throat> it's even uh, has this like this action-oriented side of it. So uh, in this, a lot of the Psalms start this way. Shema, listen to my voice when I call the Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So the psalmist is asking God to do something, to act on their behalf. Maybe one of the more uh, important usages of this word is Exodus 19, when Moses is on Mount Sinai with God, and the text says, Ataim shama shama kol, listen closely, or obey fully my voice, and then you will be my people. What's really fascinating about shama is in English, there are two different words for listen and obey. And they probably cause different things to happen inside of you when I say, listen, obey, right? Heading in two different directions. If you open your Old Testament and you read and it says, listen, the word is Shema. If you're reading in another context and it says, obey my commands, it's the same word, it's Shema. In Hebrew, in Judaism, there is no separation between listening and obeying. So when in Exodus 19.5, from God's perspective, to, to listen, shema, shema, to my voice, and then obey my commands, listen closely, and you will be my people, there's no separating between listening and obeying. To do one is to do the other. To listen and obey is to hear in God's voice. This is why Jesus can say in Matthew 7, if anyone who hears these words of mine but doesn't do them is like a wise man, or, or, or who does them is like a wise man, builds his house on a rock. Anyone who listens but doesn't hear, doesn't do, is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. James later says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. To hear and not do is to look in a mirror and forget what you've seen. Right? You can't separate these two things in, in Judaism. So, when Jesus is asked what's the most important commandment, He opens up a conversation about what it means to love God, but more than that, what it means to listen, to obey, to to hear God with your whole body. Then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Which is a direct quote from Leviticus chapter 19, which says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. So a couple things about Leviticus 19. First, 
you will not be held accountable for this test or this, uh, what's the word, um, survey. If you think the Old Testament in general and specifically the book of Leviticus is boring, raise your hands. Yes, I love it. Some honesty up in the church this morning. And numbers, how about numbers? Two hands for that one. Yeah, I got you. Like, not the most interesting books, right? Especially numbers. Leviticus puts in that, gets put in that category, but I'm telling you, Leviticus is actually really, really fascinating and super progressive. I know that's hard to believe. Leviticus is a whole book about what it means to be in relationship with God and what it means to be in relationship with my neighbor, like, inter, like personal relationship with those around me. Specifically, chapter 19 is all about how to be in relationship with my neighbor. So there's all this talk about like, uh, don't harvest your, 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 your fields all the way to the edges, but leave some for the, the stranger, the orphan, the alien, right? Leave some for those who are in need. Uh, there's talk about not, um, not denying justice, paying wa- uh, workers fair wages. It's like, what? This is, this is like ancient times, but we're, that's the conversation they're having. Pay someone fair wages for their work. Don't exploit them, even though they're weak or could be exploited. Don't do that. Um, don't defame the name of God. Don't deny or pervert or get in the way of justice happening. So it's fascinating. So this whole section is about how to be in peace, how to live at peace with your, with your neighbor. So it says, don't be vengeful and don't bear a, a, a grudge. One of the great rabbis uh, of Judaism, his name is Rashi, he says this about that part. He says, don't take vengeance or bear a grudge. Suppose someone says, lend your knife, lend me your knife, and the other man turns him down. The next day, the second man says, lend me your shovel. If the first man says, I won't lend it to you just as you wouldn't lend your knife to me, that's vengeance, right? Acting on what I feel. What's a grudge? Lend me your shovel, says the first man. The other refuses. The next day, the second man says, lend me your knife. And the first man replies, here it is. I'm not going to refuse it to lend it to you as you did to me. That's bearing a grudge. So there's like this differentiation between acting on and what I hold in my heart. And what the, Jew, what the writers knows is that harboring both of those or, or uh, participating in either one of those brings death, not life. So it says don't be vengeful, don't act on your ill feelings, and don't hold a grudge. Fascinating. Leviticus 19, right? Those two things. And then it goes on to love your neighbor as yourself. So who is my neighbor? Anybody remember that question? Good Samaritan comes to Jesus and says, who is my neighbor? The whole context of Leviticus is all about your Israelite, your fellow kin, your, your, your family, right? Your kinsmen, your people, your community. And it says, don't do these things to your brother, your sister, your fellow Israelite. And one could say, like, well, that's kind of easy, Micah. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. If neighbor means the people who look like me and sound like me and eat the same food that I do and probably vote like I do and have the same values as I do and maybe even share my last name. Love them as your, love your neighbor, those people as yourself. Not that hard. Well, <laughs> could be, depending on your family, right? Uh, if you keep going in Leviticus chapter 19, you find this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. So who is my neighbor? Maybe the better question is who isn't your neighbor? Love all of them as your... So Jesus, he says first, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What does it mean to listen, hear, obey God? Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Not just the person who looks like you, talks like you, acts like you, sounds like you, has your same last name, but people who are different than you. Love them as you love yourself. Like, if you don't want it for you, don't want it for them. You can sum up the entire law and Torah in these two commandments. Everything else rests on that. It's like this is the source. If you get this wrong, the whole batch is bad. <laughs> I just remember this cherry pie. <laughs> My wife's not in the room, is she? Okay. <laughs> so I love cherry pie. This one wasn't in first hour. I love cherry pie, <laughs> and my grandma, Grandma Jeannie, blessed memory, she made the greatest cherry pie ever, and when I first started dating Laura, she's like, I want to try to make a cherry pie, you know, try to impress Micah, so she gets Grandma Jeannie's recipe for cherry pie, she makes this, we go back to Colorado, she makes this cherry pie, she's worked all day on it, and she's like so proud of it, and it actually looked pretty good, so I take one bite of it, and I'm like, oh no, it tastes like cough syrup, you guys, it was so bad. You can't start a cherry pie with dark, sweet cherries. Because you add like six cups of sugar. you got to get tart red. If you start with the wrong, the wrong uh, ingredients, the whole thing goes bad. You know what I'm saying? That's how I came to that conclusion. That's how my mind works, you guys. You can't start with the, bad, the, wrong, the wrong ingredients or you're just going to mess up the whole batch, the whole deal. Jesus says if you're going to get the law and the prophet, if you want to know what, like, the whole thing, you got to start here. It's the source. So when I was, uh, uh, like, 2013, I got to go to Israel with some friends and study with a rabbi. It was lovely, super fun. We went all over Israel, all the way from the north to the south. If you hear in Scripture, from Dan to Beersheba, that's all the way to the north, all the way to the south. We're up in Dan. I had pictures for you today, you guys, in my PowerPoint presentation, which I got here at 6 a.m. to load in that computer, only to find that we don't have a screen today. So you'll have to imagine in your mind's eye... Tel Dan is in the northern part of Israel. It's like Jordan, Syria, and Israel, right up there in the tippy-top corner. And this section of land has been argued and fought over for generations, thousands of years. Why, you ask? Because it is the location of an artesian spring, the headwaters of the Jordan River, the source of the Jordan River. If you know anything about, the, of, about Israel, the Jordan River is like the, the artery, the lifeline of Israel. Without it, everybody dies. You can't grow anything out there. But with it, everything's alive. And Dan is the source. It's the headwater. And it starts as this little, like, bubbling thing. It, it doesn't look like much. But then, like, in the next pool, it gets bigger. And then in the next one, in the next picture, it's like a torrent, a raging torrent. And you begin to realize, like, how much water is coming up out of this spring, which feeds all of Israel. It's the source, the headwater. Here's my question that I want to close with today. Some amusing that I've been, well, musing on. How do you love God? Like, what's the thing behind the thing? If, if, if love of God takes a form and it has, like, actions in, in our lives, like, how do you get to that point of loving God? And similarly, how do you go about loving your neighbor as yourself? What's, what's the motivation of loving God? What's the impetus for it? What's the source or the headwater, right? And I think the answer to those two questions is actually the same answer. I want to suggest this morning that our love of God 
our response uh, with our whole body, soul, strength, and mind, and also our love of our neighbor as ourself, it comes from, it starts when we receive and believe and live in what is already true of you, which is in fact a spring of living water. 1 John chapter 4, follow me here, says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. The Shema, this prayer that Jesus references, directs the people of God to love God with their whole bodies, their strength, their souls, all of them, as an act of worship and affirmation of God's oneness and God's wholeness and God's love. So how do we do that? Like, what makes us love God? Is it duty, obligation, fear, anxiety, tradition, religion, family, or something else? How do we love God? I want to suggest any attempt to love God, which Jesus says the whole thing hangs on, any attempt to love God that does not begin with and receive and live from the divine love from which we were made, which is spoken over you at creation, cannot create life. Any attempt, to, said differently, any attempt to love God that's out of duty or obligation or guilt or fear or anxiety or any number of those things, it always, it's like a spiral and it's going in and it, it collapses. But when we begin with the source that the divine has spoken life over you, that you are the beloved creature, image-bearing human of the divine who is love, well, that's a source that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It expands. It's like a flywheel. Have you ever seen a flywheel? Like once it gets momentum, it actually gets bigger and bigger and more and faster and faster. Versus if you, any attempt to love God starts from anywhere other than that, it's the opposite. But if we begin at the headwaters, at the source, which is that you are a beloved, image-bearing creature of God, human, who has been, which love has been spoken over, and which love has come to in Christ. Now that is a source from which one can love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind and have it create something generative in the world. If you begin with any other source or you begin with any other ingredient, I would submit to you that it will not, it cannot last. Similarly, how do I love my neighbor as myself if I don't love myself? How do I love my neighbor as myself if I, well, I'll say this, if I believe that I, if I start from I am beloved, I am made in the image, I am made from love and for love, then I can love my neighbor as myself and it can be a gift. You know what I'm saying? But there's a lot of people out there who really don't love themselves nor like themselves who have been told by the church that message and quite frankly, when they try to love me, I'm like, you can keep it, right? It's not, it's not a gift. It's, not, it's guilt, it's shame, it's, it's any number of things. But if I begin with this, if I start from the source, if I'm at the headwaters which says you are a beloved creature of God, worthy of love and respect and dignity and honor, if you just receive what's true of you, then you can love your neighbor as you love yourself because you know. And that, friends, that's good news for your neighbor. <laughs> right? So my proposal 
my offering to you this morning is Jesus comes and he, they ask him, like, what's, what's the most important? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Respond to God, love God with all your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. If that doesn't start from the source, the headwaters, then everything below it is tainted. Everything below it gets polluted. Or if you have the wrong source or, or dirty water up, up there bubbling up, like, you see what I'm saying? But if you start from the source, which is that you, this is basically what I'm doing is wanting to start the story in Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. You're beloved. God has made you, created you, stamped you with their very being and loves you so much that Christ has come. Epiphany. That is true. You can live as if it's true. You can receive that. You can live under that or not. And I'm saying, if you, if you just receive what's true, then you can love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that can be a generative process that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Because it starts from a source that's infinite, that's bigger than you, that never runs out. So I'm taking Jesus' words, and I'm going to click further. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for that. I'll let you know on the other side. But I think I'm on to something. Otherwise, I wouldn't tell you that. So I offer it to you today for your consideration. How do you love God and your neighbor as yourself? Where you begin the story matters. And there's a really, really good start to this story. So let's not forget it. Let's live from it. Pray with me. God, as we take a few moments to consider what the preacher has said, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would continue to illuminate what is true and real what is consistent with your character and who you are and what you have shown us and said. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Remind us of who we are, who you are, who you've called us, who you've created us and call us to be. What you have spoken over us as true and help us to see it for what it is, I pray. Friends, would you stand for a closing benediction as we go? <clears throat> I was sitting here thinking about, my critics might say, Micah, you talk too much about love. You don't talk enough about sin. Do you, do you hear the sound of that? I think you can talk a lot about love and, and try to understand the love of God and still take seriously like the situation we find ourselves in. Perfect love. Perfect love takes away accountability. Right? Nope. Perfect love casts out fear. <laughs> and I, I, I love that last song about like if if like if every every stock were a quill and every person a scribe, like we couldn't we couldn't drain the ocean, or we would drain the ocean. And there'd still be more to write about. The love of God, it's more beautiful than you think. Whatever you imagine it to be, 
it's more beautiful. And anytime it's not, you might want to question the story you're telling yourself. The love of God is more beautiful than you ever could imagine. It's bigger, it's wider, it's deeper. And it's yours. It's been spoken over you. It died on a cross for you. It knows your name, and it's asking you to live in it. So say yes. Just say yes. Receive it. That's a source that will never run dry, which will allow you to love God, not out of duty or obligation, but just out of sheer gratitude and will allow you to love your neighbor as yourself. I just really think that's good news. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.